And so I ended up working with mostly Navy SEALs who were going through the medicine. And then we started incorporating other special operators and supports to come in and and work with the medicine as well as spouses. So I was working with ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT, psilocybin, MDMA. And it's really kind of where I got my feet wet in the realm of working with psychedelics in kind of a clinical type of way. My own journey with psychedelics started there as well. Um, I was familiar with expanded states of consciousness, mindfulness, meditation. It was the transformative nature of really what I was seeing and being able to heal through the use of psychedelics or sitting with psychedelics that just really lit up a passion within myself to ensure that we are creating these opportunities in the best way possible to mitigate any potential harm that could come from them. And, um, and I've made it my life. So here I am. Hi everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Conversations. Today I have with me Catherine Leroux Hicks. Thank you so much for being with us. It's such a pleasure to have you. It's an honor. Thank you. And of course, as always, I'd like to give some context around what is it that you do and what brings you to this space uh, for our listeners. And I just want to say a few lines from your bio, if that's okay. Absolutely. So Katie or Katie or Catherine, um, she doesn't mind me calling her Katie. Um, she's been she's been in the in the medicine realm for a while, and this is this is really exciting for me to be able to have this conversation, as I am continually looking out for great, amazing facilitators out there who actually are trauma informed and and has the field experience of what trauma-informed facilitating is and what does that look like in action. So I'm really looking forward to dive in to this conversation. And just to give you a, a context of Catherine's background, she's a licensed therapist graduating from USC with her master's in social work. She's a certified clinical trauma professional, certified mental health integrative medicine provider, and psychedelic preparation integration specialist. And she also worked extensively with uh, veterans, specifically special operations men and women since 2008. And with that said, Katie, um, what brings you to this space? My entire life, I have had um, a really interesting ability to kind of navigate subtle energy, um, being able to kind of read people, read emotions, um, understand kind of the more intricate ways that people, personalities and trauma shows up in people's lives. Um, I mostly attribute this probably to having a very traumatic childhood. And so I was just much more in tune with what those energies look like and being able to read them um, for my own survival. 
But where that led me was into getting a degree in therapy. And I was working down at the Naval Amphibious Base, which is where they train uh, Navy SEALs. And I really started to see how the military lifestyle um, affected relationships and the ways that military community kind of operate in general in terms of different patterns. And um, some of those would be emotional well-being. And so I ended up getting my master's in social work from University of Southern California. I was working at a mental health hospital in San Diego and working with this incredible trauma PTSD program that we created. And we were utilizing not just cognitive models, but very somatic models or, or modalities to help treat people with trauma. And we started noticing that their, their scores, their self-reported scores for their symptoms began to diminish much more quickly than they were from just cognitive models. So we were using, utilizing meditation, mindfulness, um, healing touch, which is similar to Reiki, but it's a different certification, and biofield tuning. Um, while I was working there, I had a, a friend who has since passed away, but he was a Navy SEAL, and I was just watching him and noticing how his life had just changed so dramatically. He went from not being connected to his family to really being like the pinnacle of a family man. He wasn't drinking. He was really forming a new kind of community around healing. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, Katie, I need you to get in touch with this doctor who has a, an ibogaine clinic down in Mexico. I think he could really use your help. Meanwhile, I had another therapist trying to recruit a coworker to come down there and work at this exact same clinic. So I had two people, totally unrelated, directing me to this exact same person, Martin Polanco, who had an organization called The Mission Within. And they were treating PTSD and trauma, as well as some co-occurring disorders, which is just um, in general um, helped by this particular medicine because of the way that it recepts it, re the way that the addiction receptors um, carry it. Um, and so I ended up working down there starting in 2017-ish and working with mostly Navy SEALs who were going through the medicine. And then we started incorporating other special operators and supports to come in and, and work with the medicine as well as spouses. So I was working with Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT, psilocybin, MDMA. Um, and it's really kind of where I got my feet wet in, you know, the, the realm of working with psychedelics in kind of a clinical type of way. Um, my own journey with psychedelics started there as well. Um, I was familiar with expanded states of consciousness, mindfulness, meditation, just really just go and play in the realms with that kind of stuff, which was really fun. And it was very helpful for me for healing. But what had happened is I had broken out full body eczema and I had chronic basilar migraines, which mimic strokes. And so they would get so bad, sometimes I wouldn't be able to work. Um, and so I started um, looking at psychedelics for my own healing um, around the time that I started working at the Mission Within. And it cleared whatever somatic energy or, you know, whatever neural pathways or whatever was causing 
the eczema and the migraines. So psychedelics um, really helped me manage healing through a lot of my own trauma and gave me a really beautiful reset. Um, and I just was a full believer because I'd seen so many people who had come into these journeys. And on day one, they were suicidal. They wanted to unalive themselves. And then by the time they left, they felt connected to who they were and something outside of themselves and life transformed. So it was the transformative nature of really what I was seeing and being able to heal through the use of psychedelics or sitting with psychedelics that um, just really lit up a passion within myself to ensure that we are creating these opportunities in the best way possible to mitigate any potential harm that could come from them. And, um, and I've made it my life. So here I am. Thank you so much for sharing. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful that you also um, done the work, the self-work that we talk about in this space with the psychedelic medicines. Um, let's say if, if let's say our listeners first time stumbling upon trauma-informed psychedelic facilitation, what would you say? Well, how, how can we define trauma-informed peace? What does that even mean? If, if if that's okay for you to speak to that. Yeah, of course. Trauma-informed, it's such a big word and it's thrown around a lot, you know, in our, in our general community. But really trauma-informed means that you're aware of the ways that trauma impacts an individual's life. Um, you've got, you know, you've got childhood trauma, you've got pre-verbal trauma, you've got trauma that happens throughout a lifetime. So we're really looking at complex trauma and um, maybe single incident traumas and how those would show up. You know, with complex trauma, we're looking a lot at the ways that our attachment is impacted, the way that it impacts our relationships and our ability to be vulnerable and open or our defense mechanisms. We're looking at um, the somatic ways that trauma shows up in people's lives in um in inflammatory disorders, in gut disorders, and skin disorders, and um, inflammation, in imbalance in mood, things like that. So there's this whole host of symptoms that are embodied in the way that we look at, um, or the way that we view trauma-informed or trauma-conscious um, awarenesses. You know, the ways also that we provide safety could be different for somebody who's had a lot of complex trauma, the ways that we normalize or the way that we um, engage them um, during or before, during and after a journey might be a little bit different than it would be for somebody who hasn't had that kind of trauma. And of course, then we start breaking down different kinds of traumas and, um, and it just leaves this wide breadth of considerations. And all of these considerations are imperative for understanding why and how somebody gets to the place that they are in life and why at some particular time in their life, a lot of these symptoms start coming out sideways because a lot of people are able to kind of compartmentalize or navigate through them for a period of time in life. And then something happens and it just kind of tips the scale. 
So we want to know why the scale is tipped and what led up to that point so that we can really map out a solid preparation and integration plan for them so that they can really optimize their healing, you know, and ensure that we have enough support that they're creating really positive habits and changes that can, um, yeah, really just help them to transform or become what it is that they're wanting to become without carrying without carrying around the chains of the trauma that they've had for so long, which is a huge, huge transformation to all of a sudden not have some of that or to be able to understand it from a different perspective. Um, it can be kind of jarring almost to the psyche. And so we see a lot of people revert back to some of the habits and behaviors that they had beforehand. But if we can really map out what it is that we're trying to create and provide them with some really solid support, it provides this beautiful opportunity for them to be really intentional about what they're creating with their life. So that's that's where the trauma-informed comes from. And that's why we want to be trauma-informed. Yes. Thank you so much. That's so helpful. So trauma-informed piece would be uh, from, from you know, what I always thought would be, uh, is a beautiful definition from one of the ladies, one of the guest speakers that we, we had here. Um, she said, trauma-informed is having that sensitivity and understanding that every human carries at some level of trauma mm-hmm. and, and it's, and it can come up in this in the experience of psychedelic medicine spontaneously sometimes, even if they don't know they have trauma, that it could just come up in the space in the moment. So it's always good to have that understanding and sensitivity that everybody is a trauma survivor at some level. Mm-hmm. And I really yeah. love that definition. Yeah. Beautiful definition. And and I think, you know, one of the other one of the other things that I, I laugh about sometimes is I'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, I don't have any trauma. Like I had a great childhood, you know, never had anything big happen in my life. And then we'll start to dig a little bit and, you know, I'll ask about, you know, maybe some of those pre-verbal years. And they're like, yeah, my parents got divorced. There was a lot of yelling and screaming and my mom left. And so then we have, you know, pre-birth trauma because we have all of those hormones that mom circulating through the body. And then we have birth trauma, which is you know, the baby thinks that it's dying as it's being squeezed through a birth canal. And all of a sudden it's life force is gone. And that first breath is like <sighs> life outside of the womb. You know, everything is gone up until that point. And this baby now is having to survive on its own and hopefully having all of its needs met. So, you know, trauma happens, trauma happens way back in the lineage, you know, even if we're just looking at epigenetics and the way that some of these things are passed down in our lineage and how they contribute to, you know, our, our little quirks that we have or ways that we think about things or our anxiety or our mood. So, you know, there's potential for any of that to show up in a psychedelic journey. Um, and it may not even be theirs. It could just be in the lineage. And so it's, it is really important to be sensitive and aware of how those things can possibly play into and and also you know psychedelics in general they can bring things up that aren't necessarily true um could be kind of allegorical or it could be metaphorical or it could just be showing somebody their absolute worst fear in life and so you know to be able to be really um, be able to hold that with an open palm 
I believe is really important. And that's kind of where the sensitivity comes from. I always say when we're working with people with trauma, especially with psychedelics, we just, we literally just want to hold it with an open palm. It's like if a leaf comes in, we want the wind to be able to come and blow it out and replace it with whatever else needs to be there. If we're grasping onto this, then we're, we're not leaving any room for interpretation or change or um, maturation of these ideas or these thoughts. And so it's really important to be, to work with somebody who's familiar and is not going to necessarily um, encourage things that might not be true or discourage things that might be true. So we just kind of hold it with an open hand. I don't even use the word maybe when I'm working with people. You know, I'll say something like, oh, that's the way it feels right now. And then we leave the exploration for later because oftentimes these ideas or these things that people are shown or that they understand, they transform over time. And I've even had my own experiences with that in, in getting these really um, heavy and difficult messages, maybe at the very end of a journey when I don't even have time to just go, wait, 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 what does that mean? It's kind of like you get this this devastating news and all of a sudden the journey just drops off and then you're left going, what was that? So being trauma, trauma conscious as a facilitator and understanding that that sometimes can happen too, that this isn't always one of those experiences that comes in and just lovingly just packages things up. I mean, these intelligent medicines, these technologies, they dig, I mean, they dig, dig, dig. And sometimes they show us really harsh truths and sometimes they just kind of are playful and sometimes they're whimsical and sometimes they just, again, can show us our absolute worst fear or maybe where we might end up if we don't create change in our perspective and our habits. And so, yeah, working with people who are really familiar with that is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't be truer. At the moment, um, my next question would be, what are you seeing? Because I would like to hopefully tie this together with um, the best practices and, you know, how can our listeners look or what can they look in the, in this, in the facilitator or at least uh, when they choose somewhere to have their experience? I think it's still very much very confusing and it's quite um, unclear information is continually being pushed on social media and there are so many people um, just vlogging, sharing lots of videos about themselves and their traumatic experiences and and how they travel to different countries. And it's it's a really wild, wild west out there. And I would love you to speak to your observations. What is really going on at this point in the psychedelic renaissance? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first and foremost, what I see is a lot of people who want to help. And I think that that's really beautiful. I see a lot of people who are, even if they're not as qualified as I would like them to see, or as I would like to see, I feel like there's a lot of people who have had experiences that were really healing and then they want to spread that to help other people. Um, And this is kind of a loaded question because ensuring that your, your guide or your facilitator is somebody who a is aware of trauma has done some really good work around their own healing who is open to um exploring different ideas and considerations you know we don't want to have somebody who's really 
just locked in and on their own ideas about um, the way that things should happen. We want them to be open so that they can make considerations and really tailor experiences to an individual. That's really important because we're coming in to help heal trauma. And so the first connections that we make are, are part of what helps to repair that. And so having a guide that you can really trust, who you can have open conversations about, um, whatever is coming up for you, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's excitement, um, having a guide or a facilitator who can answer honestly about set and setting and preparation and what integration might look like, um, ensuring that they've got ample experience working in this field is really, really important. Um, ensuring that they are aware of the medicines. Um, and if they are providing medicines, ensuring that those medicines are safe, how have they been tested? Um, you know, how old are they? You know, you don't want to get into a journey with a guide and have, you know, old psilocybin that's been sitting around on a shelf for five years and has no active psilocin in it anymore. Um, you want to ensure that there is going to be um, people who can help you during your journey. You know, if, if, if you're, if you're in an environment with lots of other people in a group, you need to ensure that you've got additional sitters there who can maybe just come and provide you comfort or hold that space for you if things get difficult in a journey. Um, so safety always number one, set setting, preparation, integration, how familiar are they with trauma? How long have they been working with the medicines? What do they do in an emergency? What do they do if big emotions come up? So, you know, really just encouraging people to advocate for themselves and ask questions. It's so critically important. Um, I work, um, I work with an individual who I've been working with for about two years and I sit with him with the medicine and, and, when he contacted me, it was a full-on interview and it took about an hour for me to answer all of his questions. And that's due diligence. You know, he was very specific about what he wanted to know um, to be able to create safety for himself. Because if, if we have even an inkling of not feeling safe with somebody, there are defenses that come up and they will not allow us to go as as deep as we would like to go in these medicines, because we're still kind of within that fortress of our own subtle energy and defenses. So ensuring that you trust your guide and trust your facilitator is, is a critical aspect of that. This is so helpful. I think uh, this one also overlooked. I know that you're highlighted about the preparation aspect or getting ready for uh, experience but I think this is also highly overlooked um, and somebody who understands the trauma perspective in the facilitation I think they know that if there isn't a connection and trust between the facilitator the defenses do come up I think a lot of people don't have any idea how does that come up and what does it look like in action during mm -hmm. the experience right would you would you share something about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think that preparation is an incredibly important aspect of going into and exploring your inner realms. And preparation 
um, as a, you know, as a trauma professional to me is going to look like nervous system regulation. So if we have anxiety, how do we navigate um, moving through anxiety and getting into more of a calm state, right? How do we bring our parasympathetic nervous system online continually? It's going to look like how am I able to sit with my thoughts and my emotions as they come up? Because we're not escaping that when we are in the medicine. Um, so if, if, if we're continually avoiding our anger or our frustration or our fear or even closeness and attachment, um, being able to sit with the ways that that shows up before a journey allows you to really relax into it and let go and just say, okay, show me what it is that I need to know while I'm in the medicine. Um, having skills that you can utilize in the medicine is also really important. You know, for example, if somebody begins to get um, activated while they're in the medicine and maybe is having a panic attack or is really starting to feel a lot of anxiety, being able to teach them simple ways that they can maneuver their body, just utilizing vagal nerve stimulation, for example, to help to um, regulate the nervous system can be really, really helpful as well. So, you know, in working with trauma, I will spend, if I've got individual clients who are wanting to go through a journey, I'll spend a good three and a half, four months just regulating their nervous system, not even talking about their trauma specifically, because I don't need to know that. But what I do need to know is how are we utilizing gratitude? How are we utilizing self-compassion? How are we changing our thoughts so that we're not going down the rabbit hole and spinning? How are we thought stopping? How are we taking care of our body? How are we spending time in nature and really just grounding? So these are all really critical elements that if people are able to utilize before going into a journey because they've made them habitual changes within their life, they're not having to learn how to do that after the medicine while trying to create meaning in their life at the same time. So I'm a big believer that if we create these habitual patterns prior to going through the medicine, one, we've already begun to create new neuroplasticity because we're doing something different. So that's less that the medicine has to clean out of the closet. And I think that, you know, we should do the medicine any favors that we can so that we can get the highest benefit out of it. And then it sets us up for success because, again, these integrative um, these integrative actions are already a part of our daily life. I love that, and this is what I would highly, you know, say that this is the trauma informed piece for me as well. Mm -hmm. Preparing someone—it's also very esoteric. If you look at the past history and uh, you know all these. Um, esoteric traditions i speak to so many people um philosophers and people doing uh psychedelic philosophy and i love their perspectives on how they you know in esoteric history they used to have mentors and the mentors would guide them for about at least a year or two before they even bring anything any medicine into the into the you know relationship and i love that so what I'm hearing from you is that you will spend some time with the person long enough to create this connection, the trust, so that um, they can be more open and hopefully lower the guards down during the experience. And then also feeds back into the integration, helps and sets them up for success afterwards as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think the other pathway that it really opens up to is 
when we spend that kind of time working with somebody and helping their system to just open up and be available to connection, that's the first shift in teaching them how to create internal safety and how to connect within relationships. So when we teach them self-efficacy, how do I regulate my nervous system? How do I begin to um, have more compassion for myself? It builds an internal trust, which is something that a lot of people who've experienced trauma throughout a lifetime just don't have. They just don't have that trust in self and they don't have that kind of self-autonomy. Who am I? What do I believe? And so creating these things before they even go through the medicine is it's really beneficial because again, you're connecting them to themselves first so that they can then connect to something outside of themselves, which is kind of with the spirituality aspect of working with these, these medicines come from, because oftentimes they do teach us that it's safe to connect to something outside or that we're actually not alone here in this world. Like we can depend on ourselves or that light within ourselves or nature or God, you know, it shows up in a lot of different ways for people, but we, we just find it very helpful to set that foundation for them prior to going into the medicine. I love that. So given, given the way that you are approaching this work, what are your thoughts on when people just randomly find these retreats and places and facilitators? Um, they don't know, but they end up meeting them on the day. Mm -hmm. And then not only th they take one medicine, but they do, you know, I heard um, retreats that serve about four or five different powerful medicines in one every day in um, over like five days or something like that. What are your thoughts on that? Um, that can be a lot for a system to handle. When we look at trauma, we look at too much too fast, too soon. And then we look at not enough of something. Um, all of these medicines are designed to clear energy and move something from the body. They all have these different energetic frequencies as well. But sometimes when we clear too much too soon, it can be really destabilizing for people. So, you know, the one thing that I really would encourage people who are seeking these retreats or medicine facilitators is ensure that you've done ample work on yourself to be able to have a nervous system that can handle and manage that because it can be a lot. And of course, you know, there are certain medicines that are oftentimes paired together, like um, combo, hape, and maybe ayahuasca, right? Or, or hape and wachuma, right? Sometimes we pair these, these master plants together um, and they, they kind of incite, um, different, uh, different things to happen in the body, you know, for example, like hape with ayahuasca might help with purging. Um, so some of them are very, very complementary. What I get concerned about is when you have facilitators who are utilizing medicines that are not complementary, that can be really, really, really dangerous. People can die, you know, like ayahuasca and bufo, for example, we wouldn't want to pair those things together. Um, yeah, I mean, we just have to have due diligence about what it is that we're putting into our body and what we're opening ourselves up to. So ensuring that the container is really, really safe is critical. Um, you know, 
the biggest thing that I would encourage people to do is, is again, just going back to ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, do your research, like know what the interactions are between these different medicines. That's really important. Um, again, ensuring that these medicines are safe, are they tested? Like if you're utilizing MDMA, has this been tested? Did this go to a lab? Was there a full, you know, a full, you know, um, like assay done on every chemical that's in there. Um, teaching people how to um, check their own medicines is really, really important too. So, you know, there's just a lot of education, I think, that needs to be easily accessible to people around this. And, you know, thank goodness, we actually have a lot of people who are really advocating for education. Like Five, for example, has been providing all kinds of education about um, Bufo and Jaguar, 5-MeO, synthetic and organic. Um, we've just got a lot more information that's available at people's fingertips. I think the other thing is allowing people to let go of expectations. Like whatever you have read, whatever you have heard, that's not going to be your experience. Your experience is going to be tailor-made for you because the medicine is going to map out your body so and your mind and your psyche. So we also need to be sure that people are in us in a in a the stablest place that they can be um going into these medicines because whatever is happening internally it could very much be amplified while they're in the medicine so again just ensuring that people know how to um create an appropriate mindset going into it ensuring that they've got the nervous system regulation to be able to manage whatever medicines are being utilized and asking the right questions to ensure that they are going to be in the safest setting possible. Yeah, thank you so much for speaking to that. Wow. So the other thing is, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think most of the time when I meet people, their only association with psychedelic medicines is that it is mind manifesting, rightly so, because we've been from the 50s, the revolution, we have been told that these, you know, mind revealing or revealing of the unconscious and it's to do with the mind basically altering and so on and so forth. Um, but from everything I'm hearing, you continually reinforce about the somatic, the body, through the body and, and learning and building capacity for the body so that you can hold and contain and work through these experiences. Um, build that strength, resiliency, and all of that. It sounds a lot more like teaching someone through the body, not so much. Because I still have lots of people that uh, have conversations with me where they're really focusing on the mind only. It's almost like, you know, you'll go into this experience, have and trip and see everything, hallucinate, and then you're done. But I never felt these medicines were just in the mind Mm-hmm. For me, especially my personal experience has always been extremely somatic. And uh, yeah, well, I would love to hear your thoughts on the extreme focus on the mind, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, I think a lot of that is just very cultural for us. We are just beginning to shift out of this concept that things are very cognitive you know, we've got all of this research now, thank goodness, we've got Gabor Mate, and we've got Bessel van der Kolk and Peter Levine, who are doing all of this research and really showing us how 
trauma is stored somatically. It's, it's stored in our cells, in our fascia, it's stored in our genetics. And, and so the presentation of trauma, especially that pre-verbal trauma, um, and especially if we're not expressing ourselves emotionally throughout a lifetime, it's stored within the body. So the one thing that I really love about psychedelics is they, I kind of mentioned it earlier, they go in, they map the body. So it's almost like if your body were, were a dresser drawer, the psychedelics go in and they kind of pull open the drawer and they hold up like, these were the pants that you wore when you were three. Why are we still trying to put those on? And then it's like, you don't need that. You know, it's like your best friend who comes in and like cleans out your house and you're like, but, but, but those pants, they're so cute. You don't want to let go of them. The medicine's just like, it's not good for you. Let's just move this. So somatically, it's releasing this energy that is is both within the body and and I also believe within our our energetic field, within our electromagnetic field as well. It kind of cleans up some of that debris, which is really really helpful. Um, trauma isn't just in the mind; it's not just in our thoughts. I mean, trauma causes all kinds of imbalances in our body, including inflammation, including things to do with our immunity. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about um, like inflammatory disorders and, you know, chronic migraines and eczema, right? Like that wasn't necessarily in my mind. That was somatic. That was something going on because I was able to work my, my way through anything that came up cognitively. I know I'm okay, but my body was like, girl, something's not right. And I'm going to show you until you take care of it. And it didn't matter how much mindfulness meditation I did. It just was not going to clear on its own. But the psychedelics had an intuitive awareness to be able to go in and clear that up. And that's what I noticed for a lot of people who are going through this. And they'll say, I could feel the medicine in my body. And and I just, I felt this shift. Like when it was here, I had this memory. And when it was here, I had this memory because it was tapping into old insights, old memories, reconsolidating the mind, reconsolidating memories of the body so that we could understand it and see it from a different perspective. The other aspect of the mind manifesting, thinking that, oh, psychedelics, they help us hallucinate. And then we understand our memories. And that's what it's all about is what goes on in the head is that there are a lot of people who actually don't get hallucinations when they're in the medicine. And this is part of the, you know, leaving your expectations behind. There are plenty of journeys that people have that are purely somatic or they don't feel like much of anything. I have people who are just like, who have maybe come out of Ibogaine, like 30% of people don't have visual hallucinations with Ibogaine, but they'd come out of Ibogaine and they'd say, nothing happened nothing happened. I literally slept all night and then they're upset because they wanted that big bang, like, you know, waking dream experience. And then over time, what they find is that, oh, wait, wait, my anxiety is gone or I'm really able to hold more compassion for my wife or oh, I feel much more connected with my children. That wasn't because they had visual hallucinations or because it was all in their head. It's because somehow the medicine helps us to create that space in our mind and our body connectively. And it brings it into a different state of coherence so that we can actually operate in our lives in a very different way. But it's not about the hallucinations. 
Um, it's about being able to create change. And that's what psychedelics do if we're willing to do the work on the other side. Yeah, I love that. And that would be me. I do not ever, you know, from my experiences in the past that I explored some of the medicines, no hallucinations and in the way that psychedelics are promoted or, you know, in mainstreamed, it's, it's always been, for me, it's always been somatic. And I know that a lot of people actually are surprised when they have the experience for the first time because they think, okay, you know, we're going in for this big trip, you know, journeying out of the body. I think also um, culturally or in the West, we somehow obsessed with these out-of-body experiences or something. A lot of people, I find that they they rather be out there than in, in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that shows up a lot in the coming to the experiences, right? Maybe that's probably what draws them in in the first place, I guess. I'm not sure. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that embodiment is a difficult thing to actually be an energy in a body. It's hard for a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, we have a lot of this this new age movement where it's like, oh, no, we have to be super high vibe and we need to be happy because if we're happy, we're going to manifest all this stuff. And it's like, from my perspective, no, if we can actually sit with, manage our emotions and and allow them to shift and create a sense of safety in the body, then we're not missing all of these beautiful things that are around us. Gratitude is amplified by infinity because we're actually able to experience the breadth and depth of what it feels like to have this experience here on earth. And that's really what it's about. It's not about escaping it or bypassing it. It's about being able to be here now. You know, thank you, Ram Das. Be here now. Enjoy this experience. Let it come. Let it go. Again, open palm. Let it come. Let it go. Let it just be whatever it needs to be. Create the most of it and have an experience, have the experience that you came here for. This is another one of the things that I really see in the psychedelic realm is a lot of, a lot of bypassing, you know, it's like people are like, oh, my anger's back. I need to go have another journey. And it's like, your anger's back. You need to sit with your anger. We need to learn how to let it transform on its own. Psychedelics can help us, especially if this is a chronic thing that maybe we haven't cleared the energy behind. But imagine what that would be like for you to have the the ability to be able to move through this and transform it as it came up instead of having to compartmentalize it, put it aside, and then go for a big journey every time you feel it. You know, like we don't need to, you know, chronically utilize 5MEO to have this huge egoic explosion to to feel the oneness. We can feel the oneness right here, right now, if we're connected to our body and if we create a sense of safety within it so that we can have that connection with things outside of ourselves and within ourselves as well. Yeah, this is super helpful. Thank you so much. And I love that you're on this same somatic perspective. I love the uh, somatic approach in the medicine and I love building capacity through the journeys and being able to work through the emotions. I feel like there is a lot that didn't happen as we are, you know, in our early informative years where we didn't maybe learn how to be with our difficult emotions. Maybe, you know, we didn't get the modeling or, you know, our parents, I always say that we are the generation 
that had parents who were the children of the war survivors. And then there is this whole lot of, you know, keep calm and carry on type of, you know, look presentable, just, you know, put it under the rug, don't worry about it, just look all together and emotions are taboo to talk about, things like that. I feel like we are that generation. And that's why uh, it's, I find it in our community as well, people find it very difficult to open up to hold difficult emotions. It's almost like feels absolutely terrifying to sit with any any difficult or any hard emotions Mm -hmm. so common Mm. yeah absolutely and you know it's interesting they've done studies on this that actually it, it presented people with an opportunity and the opportunity was you can sit in silence for 20 minutes with whatever it is that comes up or you can get an electric shock and people and it would be self-administered and people would rather shock themselves than sit in silence. And I think that there's a lot of this that's really beginning to change as we're starting to really um, work with the narrative around embodiment and um, nervous system regulation. And as we're really starting to see trauma so differently and we're removing the stigma of mental health and we've got all of these different somatic modalities that are coming up, we're starting to see that shift and change. And, you know, thank goodness, we've got a lot of people who are doing conscious parenting now who are just aware that they're littles or they've just got big feelings, you know, it's like, oh, you're having a really big feeling. This is a safe thing to feel. And I'm just going to sit here and love you while you're angry and having your temper tantrum and moving it out. Um, You know, yes, we did not, most of us did not get that as children. but we're creating it now. And I think we're setting a new standard so that people are allowed to just experience their humanity. And I think that that's really, really beautiful. And I I hope to see that continue to transform and change. And I hope that as a community, we really continue to alchemize that and create that as, as like the foundation and the information as to why it's so important to be able to be in your body and have these experiences and really see the benefit of that, which is that it really brings a richness to life. You know, I talk about shadows and shadow work. It's like if you look around the room where you're at right now, if everything were lit up completely the same and it was all glowing, it would have zero depth whatsoever. You know, like these shadow aspects of ourself, they they bring different awareness and and they allow us the capacity to be able to see things in a very different way so it's critical and important that we're able to look at that and feel what that is so that we also recognize what it feels like to have things like gratitude and happiness and joy so they're complementary they go together (laughs) i love that totally i love that um so i'm going to move towards different questions if that's okay um What are your thoughts on this debate, the constant debate that I'm witnessing in the psychedelic space where people are talking about the shamanic perspective, the indigenous, the clinical, the medical, therapeutic? When should somebody seek for which one, in which order, or should we just bother, or which one is the best one? You know, I know I'm just, you know, kind of throwing out this uh, not that it's one way wrong or, or right or anything like that, but just just to you know hear your thoughts on these debates that I'm always witnessing. 
I think that's a really beautiful and insightful question. And I love it because I think that there's room for all of it. I think, um, especially in our culture, you know, because we don't have, we didn't grow up with these shamanic practices. Um, and so for a lot of people who, you know, maybe are more familiar with the Western mind and the Western medical model, um, it might provide a level of safety for them that that they might not have to go into something that is drastically different from anything culturally that they've had before. There's a benefit to going into something culturally that you've never experienced before. But there's also a benefit to having a medicalized model as well. For example, um, ketamine infusions. You know, if you've got somebody who's highly anxious, maybe um, struggling with suicidality, um, struggling really with depression, um, ketamine is a really great first start because it's in an environment that feels very safe for people because they have an association with safety. You know, you're with professionals who are holding that space for you. It's more medicalized. Um, so that can be really, really beneficial. Um, ketamine's a really good first step for a lot of people to just learn how to kind of navigate the medicine. It's a very short medicine. You're kind of in, you're kind of out. Usually you've got some preparation integration or a therapist that's working with you. So really, really helpful. Um, I think that there is a soul to the medicine. What I never, ever, ever want to see is that we neglect the soul of the medicine, these wisdoms, these technology, the ancient information that is embodied within it. That said, I think that um, probably the way that we're going here in the U.S. is going to be a very medicalized model. I think it's going to be mostly very clinical. I don't think that there's going to be a lot of wiggle room for clinicians to kind of bring in their own flair, um, which is why it's also important that you have people who are going to be able to bring in the soul and meet people on a spiritual level to where they're at as they're coming into the medicine. I think that there's room for every single aspect of this, whether this is a medicalized model, whether this is somebody who's really looking to dive into this for um, deeper spirituality or, or, you know, connecting to maybe an aspect of themselves or somebody who's not comfortable with the medical model. You know, there's plenty of people who are not comfortable with the medical model, too. So having people that they can go to um, where they can experience something different. And then, you know, these shamanic, these shamanic or ancient indigenous um, practices, there's a reason why they have those. I mean, everybody moves energy. And so these are aspects of moving energy and moving through the realms in very different ways that we're just not used to in our Western model that we have. Um, and I, I think that the, the pairing of that is, is really important. I think, you know, from a legality standpoint, if we're looking at the medicalized model, we're going to get one thing. I think there's always going to be underground practitioners who are going to be able to build in the other stuff for people who are needing something just a little bit deeper or wanting, a, you know, an experience that that is different than what they're going to be provided in a medical model, you know. So these indigenous practices are really important too. And, and I also like to say that psychedelics are not something that is new to us. I mean, if we trace all of our ancestry back, we all have ancestors who probably engaged in sitting with 
the intelligence of these medicines. So it's already in our DNA. It's already in our lineage. Um, it's just that we've been cut off from that for a very, very long time. So for some people, being able to connect back to that lineage is really imperative in helping them to understand and know who they are and understand maybe what their connection is to their their lineage. A lot of us are very, very cut off from that. So it's a very long-winded way to say that I think that there's room for all of it. And um, as long as we are respectful of the practices and appreciative of the practices and we're giving as much as we receive, um, then I think that it's it's a beautiful way to weave all of these practices together and provide all kinds of different ways that people can explore their being. Yeah, I just love that, having the freedom to reach out to whatever calls the person. And I guess that's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love what you said about we all come from our ancestry and the indigenous. We all have an indigenous inside of us, for sure, you know. Even doesn't matter how many generations that we haven't remembered or recognized or even reconnected. But I know for sure that when I, you know, I'm sure you have had this experience um, where have you noticed sometimes people have this experience and then the next day they always say, that was really familiar or that I know that place from somewhere these kind of things that I always hear that makes me smile because I think that just the, uh, you know, validation of that. We do carry these indigenous, you know, ways in us and uh, they, they come back, come back and we connect again. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah, completely true. And and it's beautiful too, you know, even within journeys, sometimes people will say there's just this, this, this energy or this guide or this person that showed up and I, I knew who they were. Like I knew this was my great, great, great grandfather. I knew this was. And so they also help us to connect even in the moment with, with part of our lineage, people, places, things that are important. And um, that's just really beautiful because again, we heal trauma through connection. So yeah. it's an imperative aspect of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, totally. And look, you know, if people have this extreme anxiety and they're scared, could I do? I do meet a lot of people are terrified of experiencing psychedelic medicines, but then yet they see all these research and study coming up and they really want to, they really want to take that first step, but they don't know how. Mm-hmm. Then again, you know, those may be beneficial, like you said, to have a professional there, at least in the beginning, until they feel more confident and they have some experience after a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think an, another aspect that's really important is just recognizing that not everybody is cut out for group work initially, right? Like um, the fear, the shared energy, even shared journeys within groups can be really kind of destabilizing for people who are like, so weird, like we all had the same thing and I don't understand it. But sometimes people are just cut out more for individual work initially and that's completely okay like there's there's not a right or wrong and I I tell people who are fearful of what they'll encounter how long have you been afraid of that thing in your daily life and how has that impacted it because oftentimes people are like I don't want to go in and see that terrible thing that I did when I was 
17 years old or whatever. Like, I don't want to have to relive the trauma. I don't want to. It's like, you've already been doing that. You've already been doing that throughout your lifetime. So imagine what would it be like to be able to see it from a different perspective or to just allow that memory to reconsolidate. So even if you do see it, even if it is scary, what would that be like for you to be able to move through fear instead of avoiding fear? What's on the other side of being able to experience that and know that you can move through that? Oh, I didn't realize that that's part of it, right? Is that what we confront while we're in these journeys is um, something that helps us to to build up our own efficacy in moving through these things in real life. And the other thing that I tell people is you're still getting all of the benefits. No matter what your journey looks like, you're getting all the benefits. You're getting lots of really yummy neuroplasticity, reduction in inflammation. We're working on a somatic level, moving some of that out. You know, we're helping the the gut flora, the gut fauna, like we're shifting all of this as a holistic practice, which is really beautiful too, because um, sometimes people can get really focused on the challenging, the challenging journey. And so if we can just take it off, take some of the pressure off of it having to be a good journey and really looking at the, at the physical benefits the emotional benefits and the energetic benefits of doing this, then we can work with the rest of it along the way. As long as we keep that in mind, oh, I've got this neuroplasticity, which means that if I start changing these thoughts or changing my perspective now or interceding with some of these habits and behaviors that I have, then I have potential to change this in the long run. Like that really was what I was creating with this experience. Yeah, that's so wonderful. That perspective is just what everybody needs to hear when it comes to the psychedelic work. And now I'm moving into another question of what's the role of the facilitator in some in 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 the individual's journey because and the reason I'm asking is um this circulating article lately I can't remember who was it by but it said the suggestibility aspect in the psychedelic medicine was really the highlighted thing and how ethical it is for a facilitator to be, you know, I mean, bring that efficacy to be neutral rather than, because, you know, if someone is really open, vulnerable and open to suggestibility, so then, you know, what's the relationship, what's the role of that facilitator in that space for this person? What are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, my my personal experience and belief is that it is our job to be, I call it hollow bone, you know, so nothing's coming in, nothing's going out. I empty myself so that whatever energy happens to be there, I'm not amplifying or diminishing in any way. There is an aspect of moving energy sometimes when you're in, when you're in a facilitation type um, role. You know, we use things like um, fans, you know, to help just kind of move stagnant energy around the room. We use things like Palo Santo to kind of uplift the energy. Um, but in terms of talking to people while they're in a journey, this is a very, very delicate aspect of being a guide because 
again, whatever is coming up in a journey doesn't necessarily mean that it's 100% true. It could be a worst fear, or it could be um, something that they maybe had a hunch that happened, and maybe it didn't happen, maybe it did happen. It's not my job to, um, my only job, if I'm speaking, is to normalize their experience and to continue to create openness around so that they themselves are able to create meaning around that. So I don't want to discourage anything. I don't want to encourage anything. I'm literally there just being as neutral as I humanly possibly can. Because it is very, very suggestible when people are, you know, um, the field is wide open. The energy around the participant is wide open. And if, if you've worked with medicines Anytime you're around medicine, think about medicine <laughs> in life in general, like you just tend to be a little bit more open. So we have to be very careful, even energetically, not to not to be in a place that's going to encourage energy or discourage energy. Just be as open and neutral as possible because that participant is going to feel anything that you feel. So if you've got a participant who you know, maybe is talking about something very delicate to themselves, or very delicate about um, where they're at in their journey, say, you know, maybe childhood sexual trauma or something. If you even wince, if you pull your energy back, or if you move your energy in, they're going to feel that. Because that's already a pre-programmed disposition that they have based off of their highly attuned energetic systems, which are now even more open while they're in the medicine. So we have to be really, really diligent and careful about how we're showing up in these journeys to ensure that we're not adding or subtracting anything from it. We just have to let it be what it's going to be. Now, I will say that there are aspects of when somebody's in a journey, let's say somebody's having a panic attack while they're in the journey. So you know, if, if I know that somebody has a lot of anxiety prior to going in, we'll have a conversation. And we will, um, we will, you know, create consent around, you know, if, if you are needing physical support, feel free to reach your hand out. I'm happy to hold your hand. If you'd like me to work on vagal nerve stimulation on your neck, and then I'll walk them through what that would feel like. Um, if they agree to that prior to going in, then if they're having a panic attack or something, then I can help them with that. I can help them to breathe. And, and if they don't want physical touch, okay. Wow, I love that you knew that about what you needed right now, right? Like I can encourage them to be advocates for their self while they're in the medicine. Um, that is not necessarily uh, in line with the adding or detracting from what's going on. That is an encouragement. But that's an encouragement of something that is a useful skill in life to advocate for self. Wow, you knew right now in this moment that you didn't need touch. Well done, stating what you needed. So, you know, we can create encouragement around positive habits and behaviors that people are wanting to create on the other side of this. Um, but we just need to be very careful about remaining energetically neutral and not saying anything that could be really damaging. And, and I said earlier, I even, you know, I even stay away from this idea of maybe, right? Maybe, because I think about the association with maybe. And when we're with kid, when we're kids, when we ask our parents, like, mom, can we go to the store and buy great Papa Baba? And mom's like, maybe. It's usually a no. Like our association with maybe is 
this is not going to happen or you're not believed or whatever. And so, you know, I'll just say something like, oh, that's how it feels right now. Or, oh, you know, just keep it as simple as possible. Oh, okay. Just like yeah. leaving it open so it can breathe however it needs to. Yeah, it's super trauma-informed. I love it. And also um, what you said about the touch and certain ways of like, encouragement in a way not so much encouragement but also I guess I guess leading them towards self-agency leading them towards so they know they have a choice um, I guess this comes back to how uh, how a professional and also how the facilitator has done their work so they are discerning like to to be able to um understand in the moment and read in the moment I guess that all comes back to the facilitator's experience mm -hmm. and discernment in the moment to, to help the person navigate so and the reason I'm bringing this up is that as my last question I was going to say what about those um, therapists and clinicians that are just coming in to learn how to assist and trip sit and hold spaces when you know when there is these elements are not there the discerning the experience because again one last thing I wanted to say is I saw this post where it said all trauma healers should be trauma survivors because they only know what it feels like because they already been they have done this work and they really attune to that kind of field I mm -hmm. thought that was interesting yeah that is an interesting concept um and you know I think the caveat to that is ensuring that if you are a trauma survivor that you've done the work around it so that we're not projecting or transmitting that to somebody else because I've, I've certainly seen a lot of that happen as well you know and it kind of backtracks to that conversation that we were having earlier about you know participants asking lots and lots of questions it's also important for facilitators to ask a lot of questions because if you get in over your head and you don't know that ahead of time so that you can discern whether this is an appropriate fit for you or not once you're in it you're in it like there's no there's no undoing the doing of psychedelics once you're in there um so that's a really delicate aspect too and i think looking at the clinical aspect of this it's really important that you have clinicians who don't feel like they need to problem solve while they're in it, that, that are able to just hold the space very, very openly. It's helpful to have clinicians who have had, I'm a big personal believer that if a clinician is going to be working with psychedelics or expanded states of consciousness, that they also have experience with it because your experience with fear and terror is different in psychedelics than it is in real life. Um, especially when you're met with imagery that can be quite terrifying. And I've, I've had experiences that are all over the map with psychedelics. I've had these beautiful Pixar perfect ones that were just love and joy and releasing of lots of trauma on purpose. And then I've literally had ayahuasca hold me over the cliff of insanity, telling me you're going to stay here unless you make some changes in your life. <laughs> so, you know, we are creating and one of my teachers said this one time, and I, I thought that it was really beautiful, but we are purposely creating an element of psychosis in people when we're sitting with psychedelics. And so 
to understand how what we hear, see, feel, and interpret as real in the moment is critically important for being able to hold that space and also providing a sense of comfort and safety for somebody while they're experiencing that without me trying to save them, right? Um, and I have seen facilitators do this. If somebody's in a space where they're really, really struggling, they'll say, um, they'll say something like, well, in reality, is that something that can happen? Because they're trying to like bring them back in here instead of just encouraging them. Okay, well, what happens if you lean into this emotion that you're having right now? Or what would happen if you were to utilize your breath right now in this moment, if you come back to your breath? Right. So we can teach them how to navigate these big emotions. But I think that's really hard to understand if you haven't had these kinds of experiences and you're seeing it from a purely clinical standpoint. Because, again, this is mind, body, soul, subtle energy and understanding how to navigate those concepts, not just by books, but also by personal experience is really helpful. There's also a danger in that and that our experience isn't necessarily somebody else's experience. So. You know, just because my experience with ayahuasca is one way doesn't mean that my clients is going to be that same way. Again, it's like dropping the, um, you know, dropping anything that you think that you know and just being open to whatever it is that comes. And I think the psychedelics can, can be really helpful for people to learn how to do that and to really hold an unconditional space. And I guess that's what I would say about learning and, and navigating as a clinician is that it's our job just to hold unconditional safe space. That's why we're there. And engaging in your own work is just another way to learn how to do that on a very, very deep and anchored level, like fully grounded. Um, and so I, I, I think that it's important for people to have their own, their own plant medicine journeys and to understand what it is that clients are going through and coming from a a history of my own trauma, I can tell you that that has also helped me to become very um, in tuned with other people, although it's never my job to interpret that to be true. That's just that's just my own experience that can be um, it can be different than somebody else's experience. And so again, we just have to leave that very, very open. I love this. These are great, helpful insights. I really appreciate it, Katie. And it's just so aligned with all the things that we talk about and these conversations we have in our community over here and some of the work that people are doing and sharing among each other. And I love what you said about, you know, when someone's in that full-blown psychedelic experience, the last thing they want to hear is, well, in real life, because in that moment, it is real. It's, it's you know, we know this as well in literature that that experience is more real than real. So mm -hmm. there's no point trying to convince somebody that they are going to come out of it in the next two hours and you should just ride it through, you know, all these things I hear. It just doesn't make sense because just, you know, respecting that in that moment, it is real for them. Yeah, and it goes, it, it, and again, you know, you were talking about trauma-informed or being trauma-conscious. That's gaslighting, right? That's taking somebody away from their lived experience and telling them that it didn't happen. And that is 
wildly traumatic for people who have already come from a history of trauma. So we have to be really careful, again, about just leaving that open um, so that they have that space to just express and, and, and feel whatever it is that they need to. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the the quote that I mentioned earlier, I can't remember. This is the thing. I see so many things. I should really take notes because I feel bad sometimes. I, I'm not giving credits. So in that quote, it said, only a trauma survivor should be a trauma healer or trauma facilitator. I get it because um I understand the the whole, you know, the intricacy of understanding where someone is at if you have gone through it yourself it's a little bit like um if someone is having a full-blown activation in the experience and if you haven't gone to those realms as a facilitator yourself then I can understand the need to shut it down quickly because not because maybe not so much they don't want this person to have that experience but also because they're too afraid to hold it Mm -hmm. to break to hold what's going on because they mm -hmm. haven't been to those kind of realms themselves mm -hmm. coming back to like doing your work simultaneously mm -hmm. and experiencing it yourself mm -hmm. so that you know when someone's there it's just meet them can you meet them where they are I guess that's probably more of a problem I don't know what your thoughts on that I completely agree with that and you know the other um the other thought that just came to my mind as you were talking about that is talking or thinking about how the ways in which what is happening happening internally is not necessarily what's being displayed externally. You know, I've had people who are really just somatically releasing fear and anxiety and sadness, but internally what they were experiencing was just really beautiful, like a bliss and comfort. So understanding also that that what is outwardly happening might not be congruent with what is happening internally. Um, for example, like 5-MeO, especially when you're working with that medicine, it's a huge somatic ooze. So people might scream, they might cry, they might purge, they might roll around, they might act very fearful. And then they'll come out of it and they'll say, that was the most incredible experience I've had in my home. Just so much bliss and connection and love. But if you're looking at that and you don't understand what's actually happening, you don't want to be in the space as a clinician or a facilitator where you're trying to calm that down because you don't know what you're calming down. Are you calming down their, their internal bliss? Are you calming down what it looks like for them to cry on the outside? We need to let these experiences stand alone and respect that this is part of the wisdom of the medicine and the wisdom of that person's own internal healer, which I'm a huge advocate and believer in that we have an internal healer in these medicines and our internal healers they work together in conjunction to help us create healing mm, I love this <laughs> mm -hmm. I I couldn't agree more wow thank you so much Katie this has been an absolute pleasure and hearing your wisdom it's been so amazing thank you again Thank you for picking my brain. This was such an <laughs> honor to be here. I've just been, I've been so excited to meet you. And, and I'm really Likewise. grateful for all that you're doing and the conversations that you're hosting, holding and opening because they're all just such, they're just so valid and so important right now. And, you know, I, I really see this, this psychedelic renaissance as we're calling it 
we've got one shot really to get this right because the magnifying glass is dialed all the way in. So yeah. the more we can provide opportunity for people to learn, the better. Yeah, I love that too, because I think the last thing we want to do is go into this entrepreneurial uh, scarcity and competition. Um, I think we need to start really coming together and respecting people's choices. I, you know, I in the beginning, I uh, I remember when I first discovered these medicines, how can somebody have this as a recreational experience? And then now I'm thinking, why not? If they mm -hmm. wish. So, you know, we 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 grow. Mm -hmm. I think there's a many of us, I think, like me, came in really naive and then grew in the process. And then now minds are just expanding and opening and just kind of holding everything without judgment. Yeah. I think that was the journey, really. And yeah. I, I would completely agree with you. And, you know, I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons and that egg dropped in that frying pan. And that is what happened to your brain on drugs. I, interestingly, um, years and years and years ago, when psychedelics came on the ballot here in California, I did not vote for them to be decriminalized or legalized. And my thought process, this was probably 20 years ago, I don't want a bunch of high people running. Like that sounds wow. so dangerous. And again, like the war on drugs narrative. And now having been in this realm for quite some time and having sat with as many people as I've I've sat with and helped prepare and integrate. Um, I've really been able to see how healing from trauma doesn't have to be so freaking serious all the time. Like laughing and dance and movement. These are all things that help to bypass the default mode network, which help us to create new neurological pathways, which like let me geek out 100%. It's so exciting. And when we're laughing and we're dancing and, and we're around people and we're having fun and we're in a good mood, we're automatically connecting. And again, healing happens through connection. Trauma happens through disconnection. And so, you know, I don't see any reason why we can't heal and have fun at the same time. It doesn't work for my wheelhouse because the medicine, every time I take it is like, nah, bitch, like we healing. Like <laughs> you're not getting around this. So you know, I am not able to participate in social settings with um, with these beautiful medicines, but some people can. And actually, you know what? I take that back. I take that back because I have been sitting in Mexico a lot with a masculine-based medicine, and we laugh, we sing, we tell stories, we play music, and that is fun. So. Yeah. That is social. It's just not a concert. So it's in still a very ceremonial and um, traditional aspect of what, you know, that, 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 how that medicine is, is utilized, but it is fun and it yeah. is amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. So there is that. I There's love that. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess my thing is always about as long as we respect and we create the setting and, and come in with that intention, I think there is nothing wrong with how people choose to explore their mind their own you know internal landscape their mind and their mm -hmm. thoughts there is nothing wrong yeah and i you know i think too there's a beautiful opportunity for us to begin to remove shame around wanting to or needing to do that in order for us to understand who we are you know a lot of us have walked around this life with enough shame like can we please just not do that around our healing? 
just allow people to have the process that they need to have to explore and transition and move and alchemize their experience. Because if we are healed and we feel whole and we're capable of love and, and connection, how much better would the world be? Yeah. However we get there is however we get there and that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, this is a trauma-informed perspective. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't isn't this interesting, Katie? That um, once you, it, for me, trauma being trauma-informed is almost like um, once you see it, you can't unsee it, and then mm-hmm. your words, your consciousness evolves, and your words, you, the the way you pick your language, is always feeding into that field of being consciously trauma-informed, mm-hmm. and that's such a great great skill and I really appreciate that in you thank you thank you so as as we're going to just close um, our conversation in this moment um, I can really carry on and I would love to hopefully have you back if that's something you can create time for us because we love returning guests each time we come back and have these conversations I feel like our relationship and we get to know you more and then things really deepen and evolve and I love that so mm-hmm. hope to have you back in the future and also follow your projects and uh, your work um, along the way mm-hmm. that's the intention yeah I would love that I mean that's a very trauma conscious uh, way to look at it too right mm-hmm we right. get to know one another and build up trust we go a little bit deeper each and every time so I love that I feel like this is the podcast has that energy to it as well you know we're just creating this like a, a you know larger expansive trauma-informed community even with this podcast and the platform because the intention and dream is to create a library of beautiful videos conversations with amazing facilitators of change and healing and transformation in the space so that when people stumble upon it they have this beautiful selection choices and beautiful people to connect with because we drawn to different people in different moments so that's the intention so I'm really glad that you are here now with us too yeah what a beautiful and intentional project and I'm I'm happy to be a part of it Thank you. Is, is really just so critical right now. So Thank anything you. I can do to help. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. So before we let you go, please tell us where our listeners can find you and also what are you working on currently, your projects, anything that you feel called to share and um, and also where can they connect with you. We'll have everything in the show notes, but just to for those that are listening on audio, maybe like to hear it. Perfect. Yeah. So I do individual preparation and integration. Um, so if people are are looking for someone to help them through that, then I am available. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Catherine LaRoe-Higgs on LinkedIn. Um, as far as projects go, I'm I'm really just kind of at a space right now where I'm I'm working with um with the retreats that I work with. So I'm not really doing a whole lot outside of that in terms of personally creating content um, other than maybe my Instagram, which would be Catherine. Who am I on Instagram? That's a good question. I think it's Catherine LaRoe, integrative coach. Um, But we'll have that link for you. Um, 
So I, you know, I have a little bit of content around there. I, I need to get busy and probably create more. Um, I've just been in a little bit of a hiatus lately, just focusing on on some of the group retreats that I'm working with, which um, has been a huge honor. Um, I will be putting together a trauma-informed course for people to take um, based off of some of the topics that you and I covered today, but we'll also be including topics like dissociation, derealization, depersonalization, um, the way the body stores trauma, the way the organs store um, information and emotions as well, and then kind of how to work with that both in the energetic field and um, from a, a cognitive kind of body mapping um, kind of way. So that'll be coming out, not necessarily in conjunction with the medicine, but just kind of a standalone little project around trauma consciousness. And that's about it for now. But I'm sure I'm sure as it goes on, I will I will find more more projects to engage with. I love this. Yes, we need more trauma-informed programs and spaces to learn more about this as the as as the the uh, psychedelic renaissance is expanding and we're moving forward. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Really appreciate you. Of course. Thank you for having me on the show. It's such an honor. Likewise. Thank you everybody for joining us. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. And you can join the conversation too. You can comment, drop a question or share something of your own experience or anything around trauma-informed facilitation. Feel free to reach out to Katie and myself. Don't be shy. Join us in this conversation. and I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.